Now I have a product that hardly works. Facebook shut it down, you know, in terms of giving us any data whatsoever because of Cambridge Analytica issue. And, you know, I'm trying to make sense of this. There's a lot of money going in, but no results are coming out. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This is Andrew Stotts of A. Stotts Academy, where we help people facing four different challenges. Investors who want to better manage their stock portfolio, aspiring professionals who want to learn how to value any company in the world, business leaders who want to make their companies financially world-class, and even beginners who just want to learn how to implement a simple lifetime investment plan. Join us for free at myworstinvestmentever.com academy and get instant access to my short course on six ways to lose your money and six strategies to win. This course comes from what I've learned from all of these podcasts. And now on with the show. Again, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, Avello Roy. Avello, are you ready to rock? Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Let's have some fun. Well, I'm going to read your bio, and I must say it's pretty amazing. So Avello Roy is a serial tech entrepreneur, investor, and TV host who started his first startup at the age of 19 around his patent-pending technology while still studying as a computer engineer at Illinois Institute of Technology. He built that company up to a multi-million dollar valuation by the age of 22. We're all jealous of you now. I wish I had done that. <laughs> Over the years, he has built eight businesses in the US and India with millions of dollars worth of products and services, ranging from consumer electronics, artificial intelligence, healthcare process automation, food science, so many other things, wearable technology, graphical password applications, and the rest. As the great, great grandson of the first female governor of India, Avello continues a legacy forward by tirelessly serving the Indian youth through entrepreneurship education using lean startup methodology and principles of Bhagavad Gita. His efforts through Kolkata Ventures in the past three years have resulted in 400 plus revenue generating startups responsible for around 4,500 new jobs created in 10 states of East India. Avello. Please take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your amazing life. Um, I mean, you, you covered it all. I, I do have a strong passion for, for serving people. So I do that through entrepreneurship education and Bhagavad Gita because it's important that we learn how to do business, but do it ethically. One of the things that I really appreciate Warren Buffett says is that when he hires somebody, there's three things he looks for. One is energy, ethics, and intelligence. Right. And without ethics, the other two can be very, very scary, can be misused and can cause a lot of damage. So my goal is to create a whole generation of ethical, well-charactered entrepreneurs in the Indian ecosystem. Because as you know, in India has been gone through after independence, a lot of corruption, a lot of things. And, and even in schools, people actually grow up. It's OK to cheat. And, and the whole idea about plagiarism is not shunned down as much as it in the U.S., so mm. my goal is because when that happens in school in the education system that you grow up to be a doctor, an engineer or an entrepreneur or a politician 
who have the same principles within them. So Bhagavad Gita really helps you understand why you should be ethical, why you should be a good person, why you should be compassionate, what is the need for all of this, and the long-term goal, the long-term success, that's what we need to look at because today with social media and everything, it's all about short-term, it's about filters, it's about you know looking good than feeling good. Mm. Right? So, so kind of getting a little deeper into people's consciousness and helping them create a wholesome life that is successful outside and inside. It's interesting because I also teach ethics. I teach ethics for CFA, for Chartered Financial Analysts. And I've taught that now for more than 10 years. And I, in the beginning, I decided to create my presentation about ethics, my whole course, around something different. Because ethics is usually taught in a negative way. Do this, you know, and you can ruin your reputation. You know, Warren Buffett <laughs> says, you, know, you can ruin your reputation in a minute, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. I just felt like for young people, you didn't, they didn't necessarily relate to that. Or they said, that's not going to be me. Mm-hmm. So I decided to teach ethics in a, in a positive light. And I talk, I talk about what I call 10 ways ethics adds value to you. And I weave it into my course. But basically what I try to do is to help people understand that ethics in your interactions with others and in the way that you do your work are the two main areas that I focus on. And in the way that you interact with others, being trustworthy, being confidential about information, particularly relating to work, And then also when we look at how you do your work, being diligent, being thorough and continually improving. And I explained to young people that in this day and age, building those 10 elements into your character and into your behavior, you will be extremely rare. And in the world of finance, rare is valuable. So we're coming at ethics from maybe two different directions, but I think we have the same goal. And that is to help help young people to, you know, particularly in the world of finance, what I often talk about is that when students are in school and they see cheating, students never report it because, okay, what's, what's the gain? You know, they're not going to gain from that and all that. And they're never going to say a teacher, you know, so-and-so is cheating, but in real life, particularly in the world of finance, that's the rule. The Mm -hmm. SEC, the regulator, the laws here, as well as your employer are going to say, if you see wrongdoing, you have to report it. And what I try to explain to young people about that is that who is the ultimate loser of that? The ultimate loser is the client. And I think about my mother who's 82 and her her and my father built a retirement nest egg by carefully being carefully advised by advisors. And if somebody was some young person with no ethics messing around my parents' money, imagine, imagine the impact that would have. And so if we, I have a whole nother lecture I call care for your client as you would your mother. And wow. that's the way that I try to teach young people to put it in real terms. You know, when, when you're messing around with other people's money in particular, you know, you really are putting other people at risk. So I love it. I love what you're, what you're teaching and, and infusing that into, you know, into the startup world. So fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. going to write that down. Care for your mother like you, care, care for your client, client like you, do for your mother. you would your mother. Yep. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. (laughs) So I was still pretty new to the Indian ecosystem. I came down from US after living there for 12 years, building businesses, raising money, investing and all that. And the ecosystem in two places are a little different where there with the investment comes in, you feel you know, it's the company's money and I should preserve it as much and put it into the company. Like me and my co-founder, 
we had one phone. We call it the we phone instead of iPhone. <laughs> we had one car. We had one apartment to live. So we were always saving money, even though we had raised a lot of money, you know, and that was all for the company. When I came to India, the thought process is, is a little different where people are like, oh, investors given the money. So now I can fly business class and buy, you know, gifts for my girlfriend and all of that. And so I was kind of learning the ecosystem and you want me to talk about only one story. So I'll yeah. just pick you one story. So I came across this amazing person who's an amazing venture capitalist and well reputed. And so he was asking me for six months to, to join a company that he wants to buy out from the current co-founders. And I said, I'm not sure. And he's in Delhi. I'm in Calcutta. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to do anything in Delhi. I, I saw East India was my focus. But he flew down to Calcutta and he told me in two hours everything that I was doing wrong with Kolkata Ventures. And like, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Because honestly, I, I needed a mentor in India. In the US, I had a lot of mentors. So I, I, I was like, you know what? I really like you. And let me give it a try. So I flew down to Delhi. I looked at the team. I looked at what was possible. The, the founder told me, don't do it. I couldn't do it. What, how can you? And the founder was, the reason why, that's why they were actually getting rid of him because he's very arrogant because hmm. he's from the, some of the best institutions, MIT and whatnot, yep. right? So he was like, I couldn't do it and you're much younger than me. And you know, how, how could you even think of doing anything with this company? I said, okay. So, so venture capitalist and I, we spoke and he said, don't listen to him. You know, this is why we are just getting rid of him. So come on board, let's buy it out together. Took six months to get the, the papers in order, you know, six months of a lot of back and forth. Anyway, long story short, we go through and then we finally get access to the product. Now, this product I'm talking about was the best in its category, number one in UK for a week. It was number one in a lot of parts of Europe in its category. It was the, one of the best products in the world in terms of what it was. And I'm not giving details because then it'll be very easy to identify who I'm talking about. So, so, so all that was good history, but then the investors purposely let this guy kind of die. They stopped investing. People came in with money and looked at the arrogance and like backed off. And so now that these guys were off, sold out the product that we got, it was just buggy. It was irrelevant because it was three years old and it had a lot of problems. I mean, it just couldn't accept money. So, I mean, how can you generate revenue with a product that's payment gateway doesn't work, right? It was that bad. And so I had the team, the CTO and everything. And I proposed to the investors that, you know what? We have to rebuild this product. And they're like, this product is known for its intelligence that has been built with so much data sets with, you know, hundreds and thousands of, or rather hundreds of thousands of users you cannot just get rid of it and build something in six months and expect that to work. So you got to work with this and make it work, you know. And having built eight businesses, you know, gone through product development lifecycle over and over and over and over again, I know when you deal with somebody else's code, right, it takes a long time for the new guys to learn that code. And after they learn the code to find the bugs you know, it takes longer. And then if technology has already changed or become obsolete, then, you know, it's far easier and far smarter to rebuild from scratch than take somebody else's mess and try to make sense of it. But the investors did not agree with me on that. And what happened, the whole Cambridge Analytica process happened where Facebook shut down doors on small players and 60% of our business was happening 
through our Facebook API, which got shut, right? Now I have a product that hardly works. Facebook shut it down, you know, in terms of giving us any data whatsoever because of Cambridge Analytica issue. And, you know, I'm trying to make sense of this. There's a lot of money going in, but no results are coming out. And to make things worse, <laughs> the VC firm that was supposed to put in the, the money, they ran out of funds apparently. And they didn't tell me that, you know, six months into this, we're going to run out of funds. So the whole thing came on my shoulders and almost for a year, I had to fund it partially, of course, partially. They did put in some funding, but not to the extent they were supposed to do. And I put in far more than I had wanted to do. And so it became like a, you know, reputation factor because I'm a public person and everybody knows I'm in this company and I cannot let it fail. So my ego was, you know, fighting with me and I was like, I cannot let it fail. I have to make this work, but then I cannot change the product. So let me just do my best to make this product work. And we had an army of interns, you know, so basically in India, human, you know, HI is cheaper than AI, right? <laughs> so instead of having a lot of technology, we had an army of interns to manipulate from the back end and keep it running. And we got back up to 100,000. So we went from 300,000 users to zero. From there, we went up to 100,000 users and keep going, but no transactions were happening. Money wasn't coming because the payment gateway just wouldn't work. And no matter what you do, there was some internal glitches, wallet system and all that. They complicated the hell out of it. The point is, it just, the product just wouldn't work. And, and still, now what, what happened was there was a, angle cosmopolitan magazine in the u.s which is known number one for women and 17 which is again a top magazine for teenagers both of them ranked us as a top product for something else that we were going in this direction they said oh but these this is a great product for dating and it's like dating like really but it was and we realized that it was actually people were chatting with each other and finding friends and all of that and that now again the investors were like no, we don't go in that direction. We are conservative. We are, you know, tax-paying citizens. We don't. So, you know, how India can be sometimes. Yeah, conservative. Uh, and then all these other people saying dating, dating, dating. And then finally the investors like, okay, but we don't have money. You know, I had, I'm like looking at myself and I'm like a year into it and burning money every month. I'm like, what do I do? So long story short, to add to my, my list of stupidity that I've done with this, specific my worst investment is because I looked at this venture capitalist as a mentor. I didn't actually file the paperwork for shareholding. Right? Although we agreed on shares, we did file, you know, do the paperwork for the transition process from the past founders to me, right? And all of that. But when it came to shareholding, we actually didn't file for the shareholding. So I had zero shares. I have all the liability. And I was just burning money every month. My reputation was at stake and I was just dying, you know, every moment. And so then uh, one of my mentors who had actually vouched for the venture capital firm and said, well, you should go to Delhi. He and I met for a breakfast and he said, well, what's happening is cheating, you know, in very crude terms. And there has been, I have found that there has been a history of similar thing that had happened to other people. And you are being taken for a ride. Now, I'm not saying anybody is a cheater. I'm not saying, you know, I have mm. a lot of respect for these venture capitalists and investors and whatnot, but apparently this, is, this has happened in the past. And so, yeah, I, I gave a deadline. I said, look, this cannot go on forever. 
because they're like, oh, we're raising money for our fund. So as soon as it comes, you know, you're going to get reimbursed for all the things. And that never happened. Till date, it has not happened. And long story short, I just decided that enough is enough. And after a whole year of waiting, I finally told, you know, by this date, I'm going to just fire everyone. I'm just going to, you know, get out of this, pack my bags, go back to Calcutta. And I did. So there what, you go. There's what was that... Uh... What was that plane ride back like? <laughs> I cried. Yeah, I cried a lot. I, I because this was supposed to be a unicorn. You know, this was my. I was like, I'm gonna look back at this, and this is gonna be a billion dollar company, and all of that. I had a lot of expectations. Put my heart into it, but yeah, I, I did. Actually, not just a plane ride back. Just that evening when I vacated my office and I mm-hmm. came back to my apartment, I have this little plant. I just hugged that plant. And I just cried profusely because I had nobody else I could talk to. You know, it was so bad because I'm looked up as the guy who helps others with their startups. And here I was failing with my own. You know, I was so stupid that I didn't even sign a proper shareholders agreement and whatnot. So, yeah, it was quite embarrassing. It was quite... And people did go public with comments Mm. about me. You know, people did not shy away from bad-mouthing me and saying, ha ha, look at you, talking all this big stuff yeah. on your videos and look at you now. You know, so of course that was there, it was painful, but turned around and, and focused back in Cold Cut Ventures and we have grown 400 to 500% during mm-hmm. the lockdown and the whole this corona thing happened. So it's, it's all good. Yeah. I have no regrets. But so, the point is that going through it was very difficult and yeah. I now I don't do that anymore. I do paperwork. I, you know, <laughs> Yeah, and you obviously help other people who are in the process of their startups doing it right. So what lessons did you learn from this experience? Don't let your investors force you into business decisions, especially if you are an expert and your investor is not. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what one thing, because in my case, I, was, I have built and launched products successfully over and over again. So I know product development, even though I'm younger, far younger than them, far less richer than them. But still, I know product development. I know market. I know how this whole thing works. They don't. And when they said, no, we don't recommend you doing it for their pleasure, I tried to do it their way, knowing full well in past this has not worked, but hoping somehow this will be different in the future, which didn't. My past was right. Mm. And so that's one of the things when, it, when you invest it, twist your arm, you know, be strong explain to them that you know better than them. Although it might be difficult to say given they're writing the checks, yep. right? But yep. be strong and tell them that, you know what, you know what you're doing. And if their money needs to come back to them, you need to do what you know best, right? Hold strong in your area. That's one is don't let your investors arm twist yep. you. Number two is get your paperwork done. Right. Right. Number three is, this is something I didn't talk in the, the story part, but don't treat your employees like family. Treat them like employees. Hmm. Is that a common thing in India? Or what's the perspective on how you should treat your employees? It's, it's a common thing in India. What happens is people are not used to freedom. People are not used to being treated nicely. People are not used to good bosses. Right. You know, they get treated like shit. Yeah. Sorry yeah. for yeah. using swear word. But they get treated like cats and dogs. And they get treated like that in their schools. They get treated like that in their offices. And when a guy comes and says, you're my family, you're my brother, you're my sister, they suddenly think I can do whatever I want. I can play video games while the boss is not around. I can be on WhatsApp. And that's the worst thing. You know, it's like when you let them feel like your family and then bring them down to, I'm going to fire you. 
you know, you don't fire your family members, right? Mm. But, you know, you that, that transition that kind of you love. So they're like, you treated us like kings and now suddenly you're saying we have to do our work. What are you talking about? So it was, right. I say it's my mistake. It's not their mistake. But yep. from then onwards, I have kept whoever I hire, I keep a distance. I make sure there's only a few people I talk to in the leadership and right. below them, I don't interact with them at all. If I interact mm-hmm. with them, they know it's serious, right? right? So I, I kind of inject that fear, healthy fear in people mm-hmm. because it seems like that's how people work, unfortunately. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it works for people who are in the lower level. Not so much people who are high will, high skill. With them, you want to give them as much freedom and deadlines and within a framework and they work well. But a lot of the other folks who are lower paid employees, they need to be treated with a little bit of fear. They should feel like I'm being watched. So let me share a few things that I take away from your experience. You know, one of the things that, as you mentioned this last point, for the typical American listener, they would be like, no, no, the way you treat people is the, you know, the American way. Trust them, let them do. But what you realize is that after living around, you know, in Asia and traveling around a lot over the years, I realized that every country is different. Every culture is different. If you think that you can take let's say a Chinese mentality and run Americans by it, it isn't going to work. And if you think you're going to take American mentality and run Indians by it, it isn't going to work. And so part of it is being adaptable. And I think that a good example of that to some extent in Thailand is Japanese companies. Mm. And a lot of American companies come to Thailand and then they basically will try to say like, let's do it American style. You know, we want you to run this factory and we want you to, you know, feel like you own it and feel like, you know, you, and, and that is not what a lot of Thai employees really want. And the Japanese came in and they, what the Thai employees wanted was to be trained, to be coached and, and to be led to some extent. And that's part of why the Japanese factories are so successful in Thailand. Hmm. Their culture match. It wasn't, the Japanese didn't say, you know, we want you to run our factory. They said, we know how to run this. But, you know, if you take that mentality and you bring it to India, you bring it to China, it's not going to work. And so I think the lesson that, that you remind me of is in my own business experience, you know, if you want to do business outside of your home country, you've got to be able to break your frame of reference. And that's hard. That's hard. So that's, the first, that's the first thing I'd take away. The second thing is, you know, I was just meeting with a client today and we were talking about due diligence and how something was missed in a due diligence process. And after some good questioning about it, you know, it really made me think, and it made me think when I was listening to your story, like it's important to remember that due diligence is done before you act. (laughs) Some people, you know, they either, they never do diligence or they do it after, but you have to really, really dig in because when you go into a small business or a startup or something, you're talking about investing the next one to five years of your life, you know, undevoted, you know, un uninterrupted, you know, you are going to be completely focused on that. And so you've got to try to uncover anything before you get into it. And that also reminds me of one last thing that I remember from, you know, that it it makes me think about a lot from what you discuss is that the saying, it's lonely at the top. That's a saying you say when you're young and you're like, yeah, it's lonely at the top. And it says it in some movie, but the reality is it is very lonely at the top because you can't talk about the pains and struggles that you're personally going through with your team. It's just not appropriate. And you can't talk about the financial challenges that you're facing or the business challenges facing. You got to keep a a brave face. And that's one of the reasons why it is when you go into the world of 
of entrepreneurship, you got to know that. And that's where I'm going to wrap up my last comment, which is for the listener out there who's struggling in a situation right now that they know it's just not going to work. You know, it's not easy to find somebody to talk about, you know, listen to Avello's story and take some comfort there that even people who are successful, you know, fail and struggle. And it's okay to give up on an idea that's just not working. Obviously you wanna fight hard for the ideas you believe in, but it's okay. In fact, as I often say, except in most, in most countries, you can say that this is correct. Business failure is not a crime. It sucks, it's painful. It you know, really hurts and you'll find yourself hugging your plant in the middle of the night, right? But it's not illegal. Fraud, lying, cheating, stealing, that's illegal. Make sure you don't do that. But you know, businesses fail. So don't be afraid to walk away because the reality is, is the seeds, you know, that that pain and suffering is the ultimate seeds of your future success. Anything that you would add to that? No, I think you covered it beautifully. I think that that sums it up. Mm. Thank you very much. Yep. All right, so based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Be as diligent as you can be with your paperwork, right? Cover all your aspects, cover everything that could go wrong and make sure that's there. And have, if you're an entrepreneur, definitely make sure that your investor doesn't have the right to tell you what to do, but they can advise right? And that freedom is there. Otherwise, let me tell you over and over, I've seen not only in my life, but other people's also where investors take over and they tell you what to do, even though they have no experience in your industry, your market, right? It is absolute guaranteed failure. If an investor tells you what to do and you do it, right? Mm -hmm. Rather, there has to be a healthy balance between their advice and your ground experience and cover that in your contracts. Make sure you have that level of autonomy, as an entrepreneur before you get into a, a startup. Great, great advice, great advice. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? <laughs> With 2020, survive, right? Survive and if possible, then thrive. That's mm. the theme right now. I am looking at investing in a few startups that might be dealing with tomorrow's technology. So whether it's 5G or whether it's extended reality, whether it's deal with mental health, because with more automation, more lonely people, more sadness. So I'm looking at investing in a few startups, high growth startups. So that's pretty much. Fantastic. Survive, thrive and invest. I, I can't wait to hear in 12 months where you're at with that. And for the audience out there, you know, I'll have every, all the links in the show notes. So if you got a, an investment idea, you got something good that you want to share, get in touch. All right. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to my worstinvestmentever.com slash academy to get access to my short course, six ways to lose your money and six strategies to win. As we conclude, Avello, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Think big, start small, grow slow, then grow really, really fast. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host, saying I'll see you on the upside.